Now Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, <clears throat> said, And some he gave apostles, some he gave prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He goes on there and says, and, and the reason for this is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We talked about this morning the Good Shepherd, and tonight my lesson is titled, Hey Pastor. As I mentioned before, I've given this lesson a few years back, but I have completely reworked it. That's the, the beauty of the Bible, is you can always go back and, and find more information. You can learn and learn and learn about the Bible. But I want to look at some key points here about, hey pastor, many in the religious world or that will claim to be religious have this term confused very greatly. And I want to point that out tonight because I want you to see in the scriptures in the text what the authority is in the church. Now if you remember we're on Sunday nights we're speaking about first principles. Now, obviously authority is a first principle that we need to look at. Authority in the church it's one of the most important things that we can think about these days. You know, if you survey the area or even a two or three county area, you find out that there are a lot of congregations of the Lord's Church in our area. We used to be called the Bible Belt. I'm not sure that that still holds true. I think that may have shifted a little bit. But I don't know. You know, I used to say, well, I'm kind of in the buckle of the Bible Belt because we do have so many congregations of the Lord's Church in our area. But unfortunately, I guess that might be a problem as well because many of the congregations within 20 to 30 miles of us here do not have elders. That's a problem. The reason that's a problem is because of what we just looked at. And I want you to look at that verse again. Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles. Now we know that apostles are not here today. We know that from the first chapter of Acts. And he gave some prophets. We know that prophecies have ceased. We know that from Paul's direction in the Corinthian letter. And some evangelists. Now that's a pretty easy point. I'm going to spend a little time on evangelists. We'll talk about evangelists just a little bit. Because we're all evangelists if you think about it. But he also engaged some pastors and teachers. There's a couple key points I want you to look at. If you've got your Bible out and look at this verse, and if it's your Bible and you have a pen, you might want to underline a couple of these notes. Now, I'm, I'm preaching tonight out of the King James Version. I had to because the King James Version says something a little bit differently here than many of the other translations do. And that is that like the New King James, for an example, when it says, and some, it doesn't include that. And I think it's very important that we do include that. And the reason being is because of the root-based words that come into play. Now that word there, pastor, is the same word I mentioned this morning that we get the word shepherd. It's the same exact Greek word, and that Greek word, if I pronounce it right, is pimin. It's kind of spelled P-O-I-M-E-I-N, I believe, or, or something to that effect. In the, uh, the Greek, or it's a long E, <clears throat> P-O-I-M, the long E, N, uh, if you spelled it in our language. But pimin. And that is what pastor is in this verse. That is also what shepherd is as we looked at the good shepherd this morning in John chapter 10, Matthew chapter 9. All those places that we looked at about shepherds, it's the same word. The same exact word. 
So when you hear those in the religious world and even some in the, in the church of Christ unfortunately refer to an evangelist as a pastor, that's not necessarily true. Now can an evangelist be a pastor if he meets the requirements and it's suitable for the congregation? Certainly, he can be a pastor. But a one-man <clears throat> one pastoral position is not available in the church, in the Lord's church. It's not there. And I'm going to key on a few of these other words here to make, make sure you understand the difference there because when some will take that verse and they'll say, oh, well, yeah, well, that means it's a teacher and that's what that word means. No, it's not. That word means shepherd, bishop, elder, presbyter, pastor. And that's what that word means. Now, the reason I pointed out the King James Version of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The and sums that you see, that word and is the Greek word day. D, long E. That Greek word day means conjunctive. In other words, it's an inclusion. But the word and at the end where it says pastors and teachers, guess what? It's not the same word. It's the word kai in Greek, which is a combining word. It's a husband and wife type of word. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a he and she type word. It's a, you know, a family, a mister and a missus. That's what that word is there at the end. So when we look at that, and it says in some pastors and teachers, those are not separate categories. Those are conclusive together. They're conjoined together. So what does that mean? Well, that means that our elders, our shepherds, our pastors, does that mean they have to teach a Bible study class? No, not necessarily. If you go over to the, to the uh, uh, letter to Timothy, it says that they must be apt to teach or able to teach, right? But I think here when we look at it in, first, uh, in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 11, I believe that it means that they should be living a life in essence that it is teaching and showing examples for others. They should be living the life worthy of, of being called pastor. I get introduced sometimes as pastor and I don't like it. Many times, if, the, if, if it's appropriate and I can, I will correct it because I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. I'm not a bishop. I'm not the shepherd. I consider myself more of an evangelist. Most importantly, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Because all Christians should be evangelists. Evangelism, eangolion is the Greek word behind that. And we've read about that and we've studied about that before. But if you think about the, the nature of it and the content of it, there's several passages that we can look at. One of those being in 1 Timothy. If you want to flip over to 1 Timothy with me, we'll, we'll look at a few places in the book there to see where Paul told Timothy to be an evangelist, to be a preacher, to be a minister, to go out and spread the gospel. First point we're going to look at is in verse 6 of chapter 4. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And he keeps on talking to him about, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You see, Paul is telling Timothy there that you are going to be a good minister if you're doing these things. That's an evangelist. 
He says over in verse 11, same chapter, these things command and teach. Teaching is an act of evangelism. Teaching. He says that right there. Then if you turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, In verse 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So in other words, I'm putting these things in front of you, Timothy. I want you to teach them to others so that they can teach to others. There you go. There's that whole evangelism thing there. Continuing to teach. But also look in chapter 4. I go back and read chapter 4 often. I think it's a very encouraging chapter, but it also gives me my responsibility to stand in front of you proclaiming the Word of God. I'm actually going to start with verse 1 instead of verse 2. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And it goes on and talks about false teachings and things of that nature. But the thing is, is Paul is exhorting Timothy to go and preach the word. That's what an evangelist does. You know, many people think about Paul. Paul, I can't find any record in the Bible. And even in some of the historical data that I have in my personal library where Paul was ever married. You know what that does? That excludes Paul from being a pastor. Because if you look back in 1 Timothy, and you look there at chapter 3, it's not very hard to see what it says there for us. It, it gives us, verse 1, this is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, remember, same word, it's translated a little differently, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? You see, Paul couldn't have been a pastor. Many people think that he was. But when I look at Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, I see that Paul was more of a teacher. He was an evangelist. He was an apostle. Now, it's said many times that the apostles were kind of like the first elders, and I can see that. But I also can see that some of those men didn't necessarily meet the qualifications of an elder or bishop or um, presbyter or shepherd, as we've looked at. But I know that Peter himself was listed as an elder. When I look at his life and I see that he was listed as a bishop, he was listed as that presbyter or that shepherd. And I know over in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, it says there that he is, he is given instruction there, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You see, Peter's given that instruction on how you're going to be a bishop, how you're going to be an elder, how you're going to be a pastor. It's not hard to see that the world has got that wrong sometimes. And I wanted to point that out because many times 
we hear people saying things like that. But more importantly, we see congregations of the Lord's Church and denominations as well that will put somebody in a position that they are a pastor in the world's definition. We've seen that many times. We've seen it in different areas. We've seen it in different, in, in different waves of life. I saw somebody today called pastor that wasn't qualified to be an elder. You know, I've said many times over the past few weeks, this stuff is serious. <laughs> it's not something that we can just brush aside. We can't just put it aside and say, well, oh, well, you know what I mean. He's the preacher. No. <laughs> you called him a pastor. And you've put a title on a man that, number one, he's not deserving of, possibly. Number two, that you've elevated him to something he doesn't have the authority in. And that's not good. We talked about this morning in Acts 20, 28 and 29 where the elders there were, were exhorted and the Ephesian elders and they were told what they were, what they were going to be responsible for and, and, and how they were to conduct themselves and, and how they were to grow the congregations. I don't see them being an individual that would be called a pastor. And it's not right. This is a fundamental lesson that I want you to know about and I want you to understand. I'm not trying to, to condemn anybody in the building. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I want to I teach that there's a simple explanation for why we don't call me, for example, pastor. I don't, I don't have that title. I don't have that authority. I don't have that office, the office of a bishop, if you will. I don't have that. I'm a preacher. I'm an evangelist. I'm a Christian. That's who I am. Now what is wrong with calling somebody a name like pastor? I'm going to go a little bit deeper in a minute. But I want you to think about the, the spectrum of that. If a church does not have an, an authoritative eldership, I want you to put yourself in that position to think about that. If, especially if you were here this morning, we talked about the good shepherd, we talked about our shepherds here, these three wonderful men that, 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 that shepherd the flock here. We talked about them. I want you to put yourself in a place where there are no elders for a minute. Many of you have attended congregations with no elders. I've preached at congregations with no elders. And it's a constant state of confusion because there is no leader. I'm part owner of the business. Most of you know that. If we didn't have some kind of leadership, if, if I didn't have a role that I have at that, at, at that company of being the leader of that company, nobody would be able to make any decisions. Now, I don't always make the best decisions, but somebody has to make the decisions, right? We talked about this morning. Those shepherds are to protect the flock. They're to guard. They're to feed. They're to nurture. I've got to make those kind of decisions in my worldly job, my secular job. So what about the church without an eldership? Who makes those decisions? I see where I'm going with that. Somebody has to make the final decision. And what happens many times is, is that congregation without elders, they may have a men's meeting as they call it, or a business meeting. Brother Earl's written articles about that. We may have those on our website. If not, I'll try to, try to find them and get them on there. But when you have a men's meeting, unless every single man in that congregation is there, I don't know how you can call it a men's meeting. I don't know how you can call that there's unity in the decision because there is no man in the congregation that is of any other respect than any other person. And I've been involved in those men's or business meetings. It didn't go too well most days. 
It went to the effect of somebody getting mad at somebody else because they didn't like the decision that the other person was making. That's what happens. And there is no authority. That's why you won't read about many times, uh, or you won't find you won't find where you can find a clear answer on deacons in a church without eldership. You know why? I don't think it's a good practice. I'll tell you why I don't think it's a good practice, because at some point that deacon's going to overstep his bounds. He's going to become an elder, and he may not be qualified. Think about that. I've been asked that question before. It's the reason I bring that up. Can a church have deacons without elders? I don't know the true answer to it, but I think what would happen would be detrimental to the church. Well, if I think that about a deacon having that, overstepping their bounds of authority and overstepping their realm of, of reign or shepherdship, if you will, in the business matters of the church or whatever the elders have assigned them to do in the work and the ministry of the church, what do you think about these men's meetings? you think anybody's going to overstep their boundaries and make a decision that they don't have the authority to make? I think so. Friends, that's where somebody becomes a pastor. That's where somebody becomes the head of the church. And we know who the head of the church is. The head of the church is Christ. He is the good shepherd. Our shepherds look to the good shepherd for their advice, for their decisions, for their authority. And when you look at Acts 20 and 28 and 29, that the, uh, the, the, the proof there that, that elders were placed in the churches, that's the authority. We can't come up with some man-made device, some man-made title, some man-made regulation that says, oh, well, you know what? We just don't have enough men here qualified. You hear that a lot. And that's true, unfortunately. It is true in a lot of congregations. They don't have qualified men to be elders. That's a problem. You know why it's a problem? I'm going to tell you why it's a problem. I'm going to possibly step on some toes in the older generation. But you know why it's a problem? Because our elders before our elders before our elders let it become a problem I hope you follow me on that the sound men that, 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 that were elders in the churches years and years and years ago may have let that soundness slip away and it still continues to happen today but it's gotten to a point where you can't even blame it on an eldership because there's no eldership there to blame it on folks if they're is an authority given in the Bible, I think we should do everything that we could possibly to meet that authority. You know, if we were in a congregation here today that didn't have qualified men and in, 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 uh, in a role that they could step into an eldership, I don't know that I would want to preach here unless we had some kind of clear method and plan and practice of trying to grow men that would be qualified to be elders. I don't see how anybody can look at their Bible they can even look at Ephesians 4 and verse 11 to see that those pastors and teachers are one and the same and understand that that's what God wants. I don't know how they miss it. Now, am I condemning any congregation that doesn't have elders? I'm not going to make that step because I know of several. I have several friends that are preachers at congregations that don't have elders and they are trying their absolute very, very best with the men of that congregation to work towards having elders. But then there's some that just don't care. They say they don't need them. They say things run smoothly. I don't know how they can say it. We just had an elders and deacon and preachers meeting. I don't think it would have 
It would probably still be going on if it wasn't for our elders having the authority they have. I don't see how you can do it. Now let's take one step further. What's the problem with calling somebody a pastor? Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 23. Now I listened to a lesson this week that <clears throat> talked about rabbi. And if you go through the, the New Testament, Jesus is called rabbi more times in the New Testament than, than any other name, I believe. If I, if I understood that correctly, I'd have to go back and look at it. But, but I believe he's called rabbi in more places than, than not. But if you look at Matthew chapter 23, starting around verse 7, Jesus said, <clears throat> says there, "...and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi." He's talking about those men that want to do things for themselves, that want to lift themselves up. They want to be called Rabbi. Watch what He says. "...but be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your Master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your Father upon the earth, for one is your Father which is in heaven." Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So when I look at that and I look at the titles that are given out there today to, to men that preach, Reverend, it's not in the Bible. It's not an authoritative role to call a minister a reverend. There's only one person called reverend in the Bible, and that is God. Don't revere man to the same level of God. Please. I've seen some men call themselves apostles. I can go to Acts chapter 1 and I can see they're wrong. <laughs> I've seen some call themselves prophets. I don't know how you can do it. But we see all these other names out there. We see people call themselves in a title. Bishops. Father. Archbishops. It's not accurate. It's not authorized. And it's not allowed. I think it's important that we remember that. Now, do I, do I think any of you would do that on a normal basis? No, I, I don't think so. But I think it's important for you to understand and know why that it's not correct. And the key to that is what we talked about this morning. The authority of the church lies in the eldership. That's where the authority is. And I know I may be beating a dead horse on it, but it needs to be preached. It needs to be preached. It needs to be heard. Because friends, we need to, as I said this morning, know our elders. And they need to know us. They are going to give an account for our souls one day. They're going to give an account for what they did or didn't do to make sure that we got to heaven or not. That's a, uh, a pretty strong thing to think about there. You know, I've mentioned James 3 and 1 several times, but you know, the, the Bible says there that, that a teacher is going to take on uh, a responsibility there that they need to make sure that their lives are, are accurate. I'm paraphrasing that for you, but, but James 3 and 1, try, I use that verse to keep myself straight sometimes. Because if I want to teach the Word of God, I need to be living the Word of God. And that's the way that our elders have made that decision that they're going to do too. That's the authoritative role that they have. It's given in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's given in Titus 1. We're given the authority 
of Jesus Christ when he talks about the shepherds. Remember that word we started out with, Pemim. Shepherd, pastor, Pemim. It's a serious topic. I know it's not a fun lesson to listen to. It's not exciting. <laughs> but it's something that we have to listen to. Something we have to dig deeper in. I would encourage you that, that if, you, if you have questions about elders, talk to our elders. Because you know what? We need young men and older men alike that will make that commitment right now that they want to be future elders of the church. Parents, if you have children that are men, young men, we need your help in helping them grow up in the nurture and admonitions they need to to someday be found qualified to be elders. The church needs them. The church needs you. Jesus Christ says, I want you to follow me. And when we follow him, we make that path. We make that journey. You know, you think about the, 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 the element of what I've said that many congregations say, well, we don't have men that are qualified. <laughs> well, when you look at the qualifications of an elder, and we've talked about that before, are they much different than the qualifications of any Christian? There's only one or two that I can think of that would be required differently than any other Christian. And that is to be the husband of one wife because a wife can't be a husband. And then to be, uh, to have children. Some people can't have children. Every other qualification of an elder and a deacon fits the same qualification of Christian. Think about that. We should all be willing to go out and teach. We should all be going to uh, be willing to, to, to keep our lives pure and holy and righteous. Not to drink alcoholic beverages. Not to, not to get involved with filthy lucre. Not to have a bad attitude or, or you know, and, and, and that's one of the struggles I have sometimes is, is losing my temper. Being someone that's a little more temperate. You know, when I look at that and I look at all the verses on strife in the Bible, there's no difference between the qualifications of an elder and the qualifications of a Christian. They're not sitting in a different seat. They're not elevated to a position. And they're certainly not a preacher that wears the role of pastor. The church was not designed to be led by one man. It was designed to be led by the man, Jesus Christ. But the way that the church is best suited is what God said, and that is with elders. With that, in this lesson this morning that I gave, we need to give our lives over to Jesus Christ, and we need to give our lives over to the dedication to our elders, that we will do anything we can to preach and teach the gospel to others that are out there. But we also need to understand that they have a job to do. Sometimes their job is pretty, you know, it's pretty bad. I, you know, I, I don't know that, uh, I, I don't know that anybody can ever think of, and I can't either, except for some of the dealings that I have to have with them. There's some, some times that they have to handle some pretty awkward situations. There's times I've put them in awkward positions and, and situations. I don't know that any of us understand the depth and the attitude that it takes for these men to serve daily. And I want us to remember that tonight, but I also want us to remember that when we take on that cross, when we say that Jesus Christ is our Lord, our Savior, and we're baptized in that water grave of baptism, we take on some of that same load on ourselves. And that's our life. That's the way we live it. 
Tonight, if you've not been baptized, if you've not put on Christ, you can only be in the household of faith, you can only be a Christian if you come into contact with the blood of Christ. And you do that through baptism. Christ purchased this church with his own blood. Why would you not want to be a member of that church? Why would you not want to be the child that God wants you to be? If you've not been baptized tonight, it's an opportunity. The water's here. It's ready. But you know, if you leave here tonight with an attitude of, well, I've got sin and maybe next week I'll ask God to forgive me. Or if you leave here tonight with the attitude of, well, you know, church is just something I go to on Sundays. And you make a checklist of it. You say, okay, I'm done for this week. You've got the wrong attitude. I have to adjust my attitude daily as a Christian, as a boss, as an employer, as a person, as a husband, as a father. I don't think anybody here is any different. We all have to make adjustments. And tonight you have that opportunity that if you've, if you've sold your own life, if you've sinned and you've separated yourself from God, or if you've, if you've brought shame and reproach upon the church, and folks, that is so easy to do, it seems, anymore. Because we don't live our lives and people look at us and go, oh, you're a member of the church. <laughs> if you've done that, why not make things right tonight? We saw a beautiful example of Sister Vicki this morning. It's great when a child comes home to God. Luke chapter 15 explains that, that, that lost and prodigal son that came home and the rejoicing that was there. Tonight the invitation is offered. It's not my invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. It doesn't have to be at an invitation when you go to God in prayer. It doesn't have to be at an invitation when you call your elders and say, I need to talk. But friends, if you need the prayers of the church, if you need somebody to help carry your burdens, Galatians 6.1 tells us that we're to carry one another's burdens. We're to, we're to reach out. We're to help each other. Tonight's an opportunity that you can do that. James 5.16, the effects of perfect prayer of righteous man availeth much. And it starts right here. It starts with that first step that you take. If you have any need tonight, won't you come? We'll stand and we'll sing.